Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, it is time for a new story of behavior change, this time with a happy ending. Welcome to The Joy Choice. My guest today is none other than Dr. Michelle Seeger. Now, if you have ever wondered how you could easily and joyfully resolve the in-the-moment conflicts that often derail your eating and exercise goals, then you're in for a real treat. Much of what we've been taught and creating change in eating and exercise is simplistic, outdated, and for many, misguided. Sustainable behavior change researcher and lifestyle coach and my guest today, Dr. Michelle Sager, has devoted decades to the study of how to achieve lasting changes in eating and exercise and other self-care behaviors. Michelle explains the surprising reasons why our eating and exercise plans so often crash when they come up against real life. She calls these conflicts choice points, and she shows that they are the real place of power for achieving lasting changes in eating and exercise. And today, she has a brand new book out, which is called The Joy Choice. And the Joy Choice offers a fresh brain-based solution that turns the old old behavior change paradigm sorry, on its head. This groundbreaking book liberates you from the self-defeating obligations and rigid requirements of past diet and workout regimes and reveals what emerging research suggests really drives the consistent choices that power sustainable change. Designed from cutting-edge decision science and real-world experience coaching clients, you'll discover the easy, flexible, and three-step joy-infused decision tool that works with the chaos of daily life. And Dr. Michelle Sager is the author of No Sweat. She's an award-winning and 
NIH-funded sustainable behavior change researcher at the University of Michigan, and she's a lifestyle coach. For nearly three decades, she has pioneered methods to create sustainable, healthy behavior change that are being used to boost patient health, employee well-being, and gym membership retention. And this is such a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with Michelle and, and learning about the joy choice. Um, it, and I am someone that is consistent with my behavior in terms of exercise and my eating patterns and, and behaviors and all that sort of stuff. So it was very interesting to see how joy actually plays into that. And uh, yeah, so I, I think you guys are going to love this conversation and get a lot out of it. I probably might say that with um, every conversation, maybe because I love having them. <laughs> so hopefully you guys do love this one too. Uh, as much as uh, I enjoyed re-listening and enjoyed actually having the conversation with Michelle. So help support Michelle by either sharing this conversation around or getting a copy of a brand new book, The, the Joy Choice. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. Also, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order in America, basically the whole world. So you can go and get a copy no matter where you are. Uh, links for that will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to learn more about the joy choice as we journey into the story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dr. Michelle Seeger. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. The joy of choice. I cannot wait to dive further into that in just a moment. But before we do that, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you? You know, that is such a wonderful question. Success for me is feeling like I'm uh, creating um, thinking and solutions that are both pragmatic and useful to individuals and organizations but also that are based on science. And so I want to feel, I want to help people. And, and, and I want, success also means being creative. It means reading and doing research as the paint of my creations and not being so busy that I can't take a leisurely walk. So that's what success looks like to me. For you uh, wanting to help people and learning more about science and, and that area of your life, when did you discover that you wanted to help people with these science-backed evidence and research? When did you discover that? Uh, well, something very specific happened. In 1993, I started my first master's degree in kinesiology and by the way, I didn't even know what that word meant. I can when barely I, say it. Don't worry. Uh, I, I <laughs> didn't even you. know what it meant. I knew it had something to do with exercise, but I actually, the word didn't know what it meant. Anyway, it means it's, it's about movement. And uh, I was doing my first kind of real study as a master's thesis. And we were looking to see if exercise could benefit cancer survivors. 
And so, you know, one group was randomized to exercise. The other group didn't get exercise and we compared outcomes. And we found that the group who exercised did better psychologically. And that's what we set out to study. We got a teeny little grant that supported it. Um, but one of my mentors suggested that we do focus groups like three months after the study was over. And so we did. And the participants sat around and talked about exercise and being in the study and smiled. And I thought that we hadn't just done good research, that we'd actually helped people. <laughs> but I was wrong because almost everyone had stopped exercising when our study ended and when I asked them why, they said, oh, they were too busy. They had work and they had families. And I mean, they were not being treated for cancer. They were about five years out of treatment, but they were too busy to exercise. And I thought, wow, if people who have faced a life-threatening illness didn't feel comfortable prioritizing their own self-care through exercise, then we have a real problem in society. And I was like, it's my problem and I'm going to solve it. And so everything I've done. And so that those focus groups were in February of 1994. So it's almost been three decades since I had that insight and it's driven everything I've done since then. For someone that you know, has the habit at the moment that they don't want to, they don't like exercise, how would you change their habit or their behaviors around getting them to exercise and yeah, making exercise good for them or yeah, letting them know that? <laughs> sure. So, well, I'm going to, I have two things to say about that. Um, first of all, um, one of the things I talk about in the book is my concern that the whole idea of habit formation, so the kinds of not a regular behavior, but the kind of behavior we're trying to put on autopilot, yeah. that it's been overgeneralized um, away from simple behaviors like flossing to more complex behaviors like exercising and healthy eating. So I just want to say that since you use the word habit, I think um, we need to really think about the words we use when we're trying to help either ourselves or people become, take care of themselves in ways they can sustain. Because to, if we're not precise with the word we're using, then our actions also won't be precise. So I like, that's why it's called the joy choice, because it is about our choices right now and now and now and now. So that's kind of the background. Now, your question is actually pretty complicated because there are a lot of reasons why people don't like to exercise, um, but I'm going to categorize them and tell you two primary reasons why people don't like to exercise. And the first thing I should say is it's, it's no one's fault that they don't like to exercise. It's not because they're not athletic. It's not because they're failures. Um, it's not because their PE teachers shame them. It's because as a society, we have been taught to exercise in ways that sets us up um, to make it punishing. Um, so that's, the, that's what I want people to know. It's not your fault if you hate it. Here's the deal. Research shows 
that our primary reasons for initiating a behavior like exercise um, determine our the, the quality of motivation, whether we have high quality motivation, and basically that means whether we want to do it and whether we value doing it or low quality motivation. And that reflects feeling controlled, like it's like a should. And so um, research suggests, and, and this was some of my earlier research and also the coaching I've been doing with people that when we initiate exercise to lose weight and even to improve our health, that that turns exercise into a should or what I call a chore. So people don't like exercise because their reasons convert it into something that feels like a chore. And the second part of that answer is that when our reasons aim to, to especially lose weight, and this is counterproductive, it gets us to choose types of exercises and physical activities that are punishing because we're trying to burn calories. That's the goal. So it doesn't really matter what it feels like if we're trying to burn calories. So it's because of those two things, our reasons set us up to not like it, to feel like a chore. And then we exercise in ways that don't feel good. And so the solution is to hone in on those two things so we can transform exercise from a chore into a gift. How much of it, of everything you just spoke about, how much of that is actually based around motivation versus choice? Wow, that's a really interesting question. So the research that I was just talking about is focused on motivation. However, motivation is a driver of choice and behavior. So, um, and the other thing that I usually, it's interesting that we're getting there. So we're used to thinking of motivation as the be all end all resource because it's a driver. But again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat this because it's so important. Our primary reasons for initiating a behavior literally have a domino effect on whether we develop high quality or low quality motivation. So motivation isn't the foundation of whether we're going to keep doing it. It's our primary reason. But these are issues related to motivation and they're not related to feasibility because that's a completely different issue. Yeah, because I could have all the motivation in the world to go and exercise in the morning, but I make the choice to stay in bed. Or I can make the choice to get up. I can do the opposite, have no motivation at all, and I'll just go and do it. So that's my choice to do it without any motivation. So I like how you were talking about how motivation is a driving force. But for me, this is just me, motivation isn't necessary for me in order to make the choice to go and exercise, if that makes sense. But for a lot of other people, it might actually be needed to exercise. Well... From the framework that I'm coming from, you might not think of it as motivation, but I don't think we do anything if, unless we have to do it if we're not motivated. So I, I would have to push back a little bit there. I, I think you have a motivation. It may not be, I mean, maybe you're bored and you want something to do. That's still a motivation. So maybe, maybe it's semantics that we're talking about. How about the habit of 
every single day getting up. Is that still based around motivation, you think? Well, that is what I was talking about at the beginning. So if someone is exercising um, with an ought, I'm going to put automatic in front of the habit because that's the type of habit that you're talking about. And my husband is actually someone who does that. And, and he's what I call in my book, a habiter. He, and people who are successful with doing a complex behavior in an auto, with automaticity so we don't have to think about it, um, tend to also have very strong um, discipline. They tend to be very organized. They tend to not have a lot of hubbub or unexpected things happen in their lives. And the alternative to habiters is an unhabiter or someone who has a lot of um, hubbub and might be unorganized like me and might need to change things up and might be the point person for the children like me. Um, Although my husband is very involved in parenting. So that now we're getting at um, somewhat different personality tendencies and the habit or unhabiter that I talk about in the book, that isn't a, that isn't, um, that was a framework I created for fun and to help people think more critically. Like, am I trying to change my behavior in ways that actually fit with my personality? Or am I just kind of following what I'm supposed, supposed to be doing, but it actually isn't a good fit with who I am? Your husband sounds very much like me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's me yeah. in a nutshell. Very and, simple. And so in those circumstances, like an active motivation isn't the driver. It's this, it's the unconscious automatic cue. He sleeps in his exercise clothes. Yeah, same. So they, <laughs> me too. I do the same thing, yeah. Okay. And so you, so for you and my husband and other people, not most people, but other people, you've made the, the choice of exercising frictionless and without the need for motivation. Maybe you had an initial motivation, but what happens with automatic habits is that you don't need the motivation anymore because it's because you've set it up so it gets cued and you do the behavior and you get a reward. But hmm. most people don't have the personalities or life contacts. And I talk about that. That's how I start the book. Wow. So what about willpower? Where does willpower come into the equation here? Or does it for a, so, in the, for a habiter and an unhabiter? Okay, that's a great question. Well, we know pretty much that willpower is, is a strategy that doesn't, that we shouldn't count on because let me, let me say a couple of things about that. Well, first of all, the people who are habiters, research shows that people who successfully form habits tend to have more self-control, which we could think about as willpower. So inherently people who are habiters, it, they kind of go hand in hand from my experience. Um, willpower as a concept, it's that's part of what I'm calling the old story of behavior change. And the old story of behavior change is based on ideals. It's aiming for a bullseye. It's sticking to the plan and it's using willpower. So you power through your ambivalence and your lack of motivation and you just do it. And guess what? It doesn't work for most people for sustainable change. So I don't think 
willpower is a concept. I think ta- I think willpower distracts us from what we should be talking about. Yeah. So what should we be talking about then? The joy choice, which is what I think we should be talking about, is about the emerging research on the role of our executive functioning or our brain's innate self-management and decision-making system. Um, Because if we're talking about a choice, we, we kind of said choices happen in the moment. Yeah. And you need an exercise, whether you're a habiter or you're an unhabiter, or you have 10 kids at home, or you have, you're an empty nester and you have all the time in the world, you still need to have plans because if you don't have a plan, it's not going to happen. So, but the assumption is that someone has a plan to do some kind of exercise or to follow some type of healthier eating plan. That's an assumption. And the other assumption is that to achieve lasting change, you have to make decisions that consistently support your greater eating and exercise goals. Now, consistently support doesn't mean exactly the same. Um, And so if we're going to do that, we have to care about, well, what's going to stop us from being consistent? What's going to stop us from making these consistent choices? And what's going to stop us is an unexpected challenge or what I call choice points. So let's say you had planned to follow a certain eating plan. You were loving it. You feel great. You own it. It's yours. Then you go to a party at your best friend's house and your best friend, your best friend comes up with this awesome cake that they baked and they are insisting you have a piece. And despite not wanting it, despite really not needing to rebel against any shoulds, you eat it and you eat a big piece because you want to make sure they know that you care about them and you respect them and you love them. So things, when our plans are go awry, when we bump up against something that was unexpected, we haven't been taught how to A, successfully navigate that. So we still stay consistent. We don't have to do it perfectly. And um, we haven't been taught how to support our brain's self-management system so that we set ourselves up for success. So that's what I think we should be talking about. I love it. (laughs) I want to dive more into the joy choice in just a moment, but I wanted to ask you for someone that is a habiter and an unhabiter, who is more susceptible to having consistent negative behavior patterns in their life? I don't know. Well, I don't know if I can answer that question because that's, it's kind of, it's kind of too big of a question. Do you want to, can you get it a little more specific? You want, you want to get to a little more specific. Okay. So if someone was, let's just say a a habiter and they are consistently producing a lot of negative behaviors in their life. Whereas someone that is an uninhabitor, they're also producing negative behaviors in their life. Have you seen through your research over the decades, because you've got a lot of experience here, have you noticed that more people that are in habitus are based around the unhealthy behaviors? 
consistent unhealthy behaviors or is it more the uninhabiters with the negative behaviors does that help concise a little bit more or not really I think so let me say one thing i want to say is that the habiter unhabiter concept is a fun uh category that i created for the purposes of talking about it i haven't studied you know i haven't assessed on a population level these are habiters and these are unhabiters it's more of a concept for the individual to say I've been trying to change my behavior for years and I have not been successful and I've been trying to do it with discipline and I've been trying to create automatic habits and I've been trying to follow the rules that other people are telling me. Um, people who are habiters, I would say, you know, again, this is a typology that I created. Yeah. If I think about my husband as the embodiment of a habit of her, he's very disciplined and, you know, he, he, sets out what he sets out to do he does and that is one of the tendencies of this category that i of of people that i that i um created but i don't know we all have we all do unhealthy things so i think it might i feel like the directionality of your question i think is what's getting in the way of me giving you a very straight answer. I, I think what we want to do and, and also instead of, um, yeah. So I think that's what I'm struggling with. Uh, because the reality is, is that we all have different things we want to achieve in life, right? Now we could look at a habiter like my husband or someone like him who's super disciplined exercises every day, like they plan to do high achieving, achieve their professional goals. You know, we're raised in a family that, um, uh, want, had ambitious goals, successful parents in that scenario. I mean, I'm going, I'm leaving the conversation about healthy eating and exercise to kind of try to get at what you're saying in that situation. We see that a lot of people might have careers that they actually don't want and they may be successful. Like I know so many people who went to law school, they, you know, or, and became doctors, you know, doctors in the United States, when people go to medical school, get, do you know how much money they owe when they get out? A lot of money, hundreds it's, of thousands of dollars. I think, no, no, no. no. it tends to be over a million dollars in, in student loans. Goodness that's how me. I'm not kidding you. That's so, so regard. So, that is an example of where someone who who is very disciplined and very organized and very successful might be really unhappy because they kind of, you know, again, they succeeded at what they thought they wanted and what maybe they grew up to want. But then they get there and they're like, mm. I don't like this. So it's a different scenario, but it's also showing you how these tendencies could potentially we might think of someone as. You know, and again, I think my husband is very happy in his high achieving career and his daily exercise, but I could see how someone with the same tendencies that make him a habiter would wind up in a successful career that actually makes them miserable. Yeah. So, but we're, we're off topic. So I think you did a Sorry. great job in navigating that 
curious question of mine, <laughs> even though the question might not have made total sense. It made a little bit of sense in my brain, but I think the way I can, I asked it probably didn't. Maybe when I think about it a little bit more, I might have to email you and say, sure. <laughs> this is where I was going with it. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for doing that. And your husband like literally sounds like an older version of me. <laughs> <laughs> in many be. ways I, i'm i'm driven i gotta exercise every single day i just have that innate ability to get up very early in the morning what time does he get up in the morning i'm curious 5 30 every day okay, i get up at like 4 4 30 in the morning so yeah. a little bit early maybe because because i'm young <laughs> but yeah uh yeah it's great i thought i was the only one to be honest someone that sleeps no, no. Well, and- what a habit or is pretty good at doing is making sure that the circumstances are going, that things won't interfere with what you're trying to do. And that's why he gets up and does it first thing in the morning. That's probably why you get up early too. Do you have kids? No, I don't. (laughs) Okay. So when, you know, that's a strategy, if you've got little kids that can, you know, disrupt your exercise habit, you get up early. So that doesn't happen. Have you got kids? Yes. What yeah, is so it like mean, being being a parent and dealing with their habits and their behaviors great, and the way they change? <laughs> that is a great question. I was actually talking to a parenting podcaster earlier in the day, and I have to say that being a parent and reading books about parenting by neuroscientists is really kind of, was really what got me interested in this whole going in this new direction with the brain and executive functioning and emotions and reason. Um, it's, it's, you know, people have different needs and personalities and whether you're married to someone or you have children, you, there's a push and pull with creating, you know, family values while maintaining your individuality. So, when, you know, as a family, because, well, my husband also happens to be an exercise physiologist. So, you know, he's not just a habiter, he studies exercise for his research. He studies the physiology of exercise. So of course, exercise is very important to him. And I am a psychologist who cares about sustainable behavior change. So we, we both know and have had conversations where we want to make sure that um, our son never feels like sport or exercise is a chore because we want because we want him to do something. And so, you know, today with kids and screen time, it's really parents have a lot of challenges around this because kids want to sit in front of a screen all the time. And yet we want children to be physically active because we know that's among the best things for them. So the challenge is you have to figure out how to encourage it in ways where they don't feel like you're shoving it down their throat. And so taking family walks, biking as a family, shooting hoops. Um, I can tell you a few weeks ago, and we haven't even really talked about what the joy choice is, and I know we don't have that much more time. So I'm going to jump in because I want to tell you a story about my son, which intersects with what we're talking about. So we were talking about how 
consistent decision-making gets derailed and it gets derailed by unexpected things get in the way, unless you're a habiter and get up at 4 a.m. when nothing is going to get in the way, right? Um, so the joy choice is the perfect imperfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing. It's the antidote to the all or nothing thinking oh no, I can't get to the gym like I had planned. Most people go, they chuck it and they go, not doing anything. That is one of the biggest derailers of lasting change. So the joy choice aims to help people um, do something so they can stay consistent. So with my book launch, I've been super busy and I've, I, on many days, I haven't been able to take my perfect walk, which is, you know, an hour to campus and back. So a few weeks ago after dinner, I asked my family if we could take a walk around the block and we're, you know, a few minutes into it. It's not a long walk. It's like a five to seven minute walk. And my son kind of cocks his head and looks at me and says, mom, is this a joy choice for you? He knew that the reason why I had suggested we take a walk was because I couldn't get my ideal walk in. So I had to make the perfect and perfect choice or the joy choice. So I got, it wasn't the ideal, but I got something in instead of nothing. I brought my family along. I, role, I was a role model to my son say, this is worth doing. And guess what? It doesn't have to be perfect. And the fact that my husband, who does all this stuff, you know, perfectly valued it, it was showing him that even someone like my husband would, would value doing that. Well, we try to do things perfectly, but quite often don't. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's where, yeah just being a bit gracious to ourselves and to other people at the same time, which can be hard because you're so set on things happening your way, but yeah, it's being, being, yeah, flexible in, in that respect, but you, the joy choice, right? Like for someone that doesn't, or is trying to work out, okay, what is joy in the first place and how much does choice impact that joy aspect? So choice has tremendous impact on joy, like it has on anything. And, you know, the new research, or I wouldn't say brand new, but emerging research would suggest something very exciting. And that is that in research on exercise, that's not about joy shows this and research about eating shows this, that what we expect to experience from something, we actually are likely to. So if a one study told a group of people that exercise was gonna feel good and another group wasn't told that, and the people who were told it was gonna feel good actually rated it significantly more pleasurable than the other group. And if you tell people, if you look at foods, if you look at the same, like, soup. There was a study, I think it was soup, and they one called it boiled vegetable water, one frame, one label, and the other was sophisticated vegetable, you know, um, soup, soup, I don't know, what whatever word. 
And they found that the people who were told, you know, the fancy name for the exact same thing rated it as more tasty, you know, had more. And, and so going back to your question, our choices and what we expect them to deliver to deliver actually gets our brain to anticipate. And then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Where do you want people to get a copy of your book? Um, you know, they can go to my website. I believe um, in Australia, I, th- I believe there are some stores online selling it, you know, in the UK and in Europe, you can get it online and in the United States too. And in local, there's, it's in a lot of local bookstores in the United States. Amazing. Well, I'm going to have to suss out here in Australia because I love going to bookstores, but like I said to you off air, I live in a new area, so I'm still trying to work out where everything is properly. So I can't wait till I find a a proper bookstore and I do see it because I love seeing all my friends' books in stores and I tend to be the one, if it's hidden away somewhere, I tend to be the one that grabs it and puts it out the front just casually. (laughs) Because yeah, I mean, why not, right? People need to read the book. So uh, I'll make sure that everyone knows where to get a copy of it. Michelle, i got two quick final questions for you if that's okay with you. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Wow. You're very good questions. What do I love most about myself and my story? Um, I think that I have created my own path, that I have followed my interests. And if it meant I had to get another graduate degree, that's what I did. Um, That I like to integrate ideas and that I want to help people. I guess, I guess that's what I would say. And that I learned, I try to learn from my mistakes and be kind to people. Mm, I love that. My final question for you, Michelle, this is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. That um, I was a good daughter, mother, uh, wife, friend that I was... I want to show the things that I've created and I would want to show the people that I've impacted. I would want to show me playing with my dog, you know, um, eating good food, traveling to Australia, um, a mix of pleasurable things and contributions. I think that's what I would want. Mm. It's a perfect send off message. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today, for writing The Joy Choice. Cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of it, but thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, your advice, and the stories as well, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to meet you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. 
If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 